Hello, welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your co-host and with me as always is Joe Hilliard and Dave Gurney. And we are going to talk about uh, a few movies, drink a few beers. This week in particular, uh, we're doing a, uh, I guess it's kind of a uh, COVID-19 edition in the sense that um, the one of the films we're talking about got an early at-home release instead of, uh, you know, what I'm assuming was a planned proper theatrical release. Yeah, yeah well, it, actually, there was a bit of controversy on that one uh, because they were, you know, so the, the film, we might as well spill it here, is King of Staten Island. Um, and it was being promoted as if it was going to be released to theaters, uh, in particular drive-in theaters, which have been thriving in this uh, pandemic because it allows for that kind of distancing. And there were there were some of the theaters, apparently, that were already pre-selling tickets. Like, they, you know, the, sh- the show was going to open on that Friday. And uh, and then at the last minute, I think, was it Universal that, that put this out? I can't remember. Whatever the studio was basically just decided, nah, we're not going to bother to roll it out to, to theaters of any sort. We're just going to put it uh, as a premium rental. Well, I, I missed that whole uh, bit of uh, news as far as uh, this film was concerned. Um, actually, Carlos, we're not going to let you open the show anymore. Oh, yeah. If, if you're going to uh, detour us away from the proper thing to do right now yes you're right this always uh, happens okay. with yeah. me we got to open the beer we jumped the gun uh yeah so, so we got a a, a repeat wow what happened here oh just as soon as i opened the can i got a i got a whiff instantly okay so a few episodes back and joe i know you shared right before we started recording you even had the episode number was it 88 88 we were, yeah. we were talking about vox lux Right. So to our loyal listeners, not that far in the past, you you just heard us talking about that one. And with that, we had paired this wonderful beer from the Brewing Project with a K, Project with a K, out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And that was their Puff Tart. And what was the the fruit uh, additions on that one? Do you remember? Raspberry and guava. Okay. And so this, we have a return of raspberry. So we're we're in another edition of the Puff Tart line. It's uh, still being billed as a malt beverage with milk sugar. This, in this case, though, it's passion fruit, guava, raspberry, and marshmallow. Oh man, that's a lot of words. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm happy already with with uh, you know what Carlos was saying about once you open the can, you get that aroma. This is this is promising. Yeah, so this is clearly something that the Brewing Project does, uh, and that's the uh, sour ales with a lot of fruit added to them. I, as I recall, back in episode 88, we enjoyed that beer very much. I'm looking forward to sipping on this while we get into the King of Staten Island. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of fruit. A lot of fruit on that nose. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, uh, to, to finish off what I was saying, I, th- I think the only Sorry. press that I saw for this movie was the trailer. And I okay. saw Pete Davidson and his mom on Jimmy Kimmel, <laughs> uh, where he went on record saying that, yes, it would be weird if he dated Marissa Tomei after she played his mom in the film. 
Was that a thing? Were were people talking about that that might happen? No, Jimmy Kimmel just there was some like bit about like how his mom was excited that she was like finally hot or whatever because uh, oh, okay. Marissa okay. Tomei is an attractive woman. And then at the end of the interview, I think uh, Jimmy Kimmel asked him like, "So you think it would be weird if you dated Marissa Tomei now after she played your mom?" And he was like, "Yeah, that would definitely be weird." <laughs> <laughs> it would be, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know a whole lot. I mean, I guess I had heard about this project. I knew that Judd Apatow, um, who, who's kind of the the central figure of this episode, this first half, we're going to be talking about King of Staten Island. We're going to look back at an earlier Apatow film for the second half. But I had heard that he was doing this project with Pete Davidson. I know Pete Davidson from SNL. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've had mixed feelings about him over the years. I, I think I'm warming to him. Uh, I mean, maybe we should just get right into talking about the film and, and why that's helping with this process of warming to him. But uh, essentially, this is a loosely autobiographical film. And when I say loosely, it changes some details. But, you know, Pete Davidson did indeed grow up in Staten Island um, he, with a single mother, a uh, single mother because his father had died early, although apparently his parents had just separated so they she would have been a single mom anyway but um the the idea being that you know his father died he was a firefighter died very early in his life so kind of left him without that kind of male figure in his life yeah and I think his uh, dad died in 9-11 that's right so in, in real life yes but they've changed that so king yeah. of staten island it is not a 9-11 death which is interesting it's interesting when your own autobiography would be more dramatic than yeah. the material of the film and right. you, you decide to which is nice because i think actually maybe that would distract people that that maybe there's that hero worship aspect of 9-11 first responders who died um that that maybe would be distracting so here it's it's kind of a i don't want to say random but a a hotel fire it's not a particularly it might um, it might be harder for audiences to digest some of the stories about his father that appear later yeah yeah having right you know, framed him in this other, other way. Yeah. So, but the idea being that, you know, so he's this, this guy who was a kid when his dad passed away and is left with his, his mom and a sister, a younger sister, um, kind of grows up, but doesn't really grow up. Right. Is, is kind of in a, in a state of arrested development, so to speak, hasn't really found his way. And so we kind of meet him in his mid twenties where he's still trying to figure things out. And his mom is maybe starting a new phase of her life, and we get to see that all unfold. Yeah, you know, you said Arrested Development. It's a theme in Apatow's films, and I'm sure we'll talk about Arrested Development again in the second half of the of the episode. But, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll dive in. The movie, for me, gets it gets off to a good start. Okay. Uh, you've got the idea that, uh, yeah, you're seeing... What is clearly, and Apatow did the same thing with Schumer, Amy Schumer, in um, Trainwreck. Trainwreck. Of, like, I'm going to create a star launch right now, you know, if I, if I can. And, uh, and, and, and Pete Davidson's ripe for this kind of treatment. He's done a great job on SNL. Uh, I, I laugh a lot at him on SNL. Uh, we, we know about him from the, the tabloid stuff, the Ariana Grande date, you know, dating and the, you know, and of course, his very public discussion that he has about his you know, mental, 
like I, what we call the mental diagnoses and anxiety. And so if the right vehicle comes along, Pete Davidson could be, you know, elevated. Yeah. And uh, it gets off to a good start. Like I said, the eyes closed driving sequence where we're to see at the very, very beginning that he's unhinged minimally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the uh, pretty economic, you know, telling of the, the cause of that, which would have, of course, been the death of his father. Uh, and then we get into the funny, the friend, you know, the stuff that Apatow does almost in every single movie. He has the guys around on the couch smoking weed and busting each other's balls. Mm-hmm. And okay, okay, Apatow, if that's a thing you're going to do, do it well. Pete Davidson can certainly in the mix. And then the tattooing of the kid, he's a tattoo artist, or he's mm-hmm. a he's a self-professed tattoo artist trying to practice. An aspiring, uh, yeah. There you yeah, go, thank you. And he tattoos a, a, a kid, like a, a young kid in the woods. A with small child. Yeah, and <laughs> what that leads to, we're off to a good start here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, someone take it away. I, I definitely want to talk about the cast. I mean, I I don't know if we were off to a great start. Who the fuck would do that? I find it so like unbelievable <laughs> that any person over the age of like 16 would see somebody that is so far under the legal age of consent and be like, yeah, fuck it. I'm a tattoo this kid, you know, especially a sh- just a stranger. Like, I don't know. I found that to be very bizarre. It was bizarre, but I thought it was handled in a pretty funny way. It was funny. Uh, yeah, it was never threatening. You know what I mean? Like, I think it, it could have had that. I mean, whenever you have like a child being put in danger, there's a potential. But the child's kind of a little bit of a wise ass himself. Not yeah. quite wise. ass. He's, he's a little more worldly than your typical whatever he's supposed to be, 10, 11 year old. Um and you know the the guys are all um, immature enough, you know, and, and Davidson and his crew in in that except for one that, of them, except for one of them who's trying to t- yeah right he's trying to talk him down. But I, I hear what you're saying, Carlos, and at the same time I think it really established nicely these guys are kind of stuck in that 16, 17, 18 year old like they should have progressed beyond this point, yeah. but they have. You know what I mean, and and their actions later in the film kind of bear that out as well. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're not really dangers to society, but they just haven't gotten beyond the kind of oh, it's fun to make trouble, it's fun to you know kind of break the rules phase of their life. Yeah, they're just dumb. Yeah, yeah, just dumb it's, and it's, immature. So you know, again, to, to go back to the term Arrested Development, there's definitely something going on there. Um, yeah. But you know it. it Joe, as you as you kind of talk us through kind of the setup of the film and some of the you know early events that take place that kind of set things up, you know this isn't a film that's like heavy on action. It's kind of a it's it's much more of a character driven film. It's you know us getting to know this Pete Davidson character. It's us getting to know um, you know again a little bit of his friends in the beginning, but more importantly, once the boy gets involved, the boy's father becomes a much bigger part. And that is uh, the character played by Bill Burr, uh, who is Ray, is, is the character's name, who is a firefighter, right? So, so you know, uh, Davidson's character, Scott, his dad, you know, kind of, they, they knew each other a little bit. Um, there's that connection there. And Ray sort of obviously takes an interest in, uh, in Scott's mom played by Marissa Tomei, uh, and they strike up a relationship. And so then that puts, you know, Ray and Scott in this kind of uncomfortable 
not love triangle, but triangle relationship with the mom where, you know, Scott's there kind of dependent on her, still living with her. Ray is kind of edging in and he doesn't like that. And so there's the conflict that kind of naturally evolves there. Which, and, uh, I, and, I be, and I believe, David, uh, where that relationship goes is where I would have expected it to go. And, uh, and that is that um, Pete Davidson, for better or for worse, is a 24-year-old enabled by his mother to not need to branch out and try to, try to do more than what he's doing. Yeah. And so Bill Burr, and I, I told you earlier, I want to talk about the cast. Bill Burr in this, and I also point out that he was also great in The Mandalorian. I'm semi-familiar with his comedy, but he fucking rocked this part. He did such yeah. a good job in this role. And that's one thing that Apatow does is he puts together really not only good, but vast casts. Um, you know, uh, Steve Buscemi is the... Yeah. Uh, I, I forgot the the role that he plays in the fire department, in the firehouse. I think he's, he's like the, the chief, or like he's yeah. the, he's the top, he's like the head honcho of the firehouse, whatever yeah. uh, title and, and he, that and is. He, he comes in and plays that little character that he has mm -hmm. with this understated quiet wisdom and i thought he did a great job well yeah. he and actually then, is a firefighter yeah he, he, like, he was a firefighter before he went into acting You're yeah and then correct. came back yeah. uh to help with the 9-11 cleanup uh, right. during that time but, but yeah, it, so. it but that relationship goes where you expect it to go bill burr comes in and starts asking his new girlfriend questions so what's up with your son and why doesn't he have a job and yeah and it, it it, Why did tell. he tattoo my 11-year-old? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. And they basically sit him down and have a parent, even though he's not a parent, but a, uh, a conversation, which to me was an interesting scene, if not fully realized, but Pete Davidson having the, 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 the experience that Apatow's kind of Arrested Development characters have, the tragic moment where you're going to have to begin to think about making changes in your life. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah, it's 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 kind of a coming of age story in a certain sense. Like I say, it's it's a, a delayed one, mm -hmm. but uh, but you know, it's him kind of coming and and coming to peace with his past. You know, again, I think why the um, the mother character played by Marissa Tomei, why she has been willing to kind of shelter him from any real repercussions or, or any real need to get a decent job or to be able to, you know, sort of provide for himself as a, as a young man is that I think she feels that kind of, you know, the tragedy of his, his upbringing, the tragedy of his father dying at a young age obviously kind of weighs on that and has led her to be a little bit easier going with him probably, you know what I mean? You, you get that sense. Um, and, and it's interesting how the film kind of takes him through this process with Ray, kind of begrudgingly at first, but then eventually he gets into it where he gets acquainted with this profession that his father had been part of, right, through the, the firehouse and, and living there with the guys, which, you know, on the surface isn't something, isn't a storyline that I would normally think I would get drawn into, but I think as a testament to the quality of the performances here and the dialogue and, and a lot of just the, you know, the comedy throughout, um, it really worked for me. Like I, I, I got pulled into this story of him kind of bonding with these guys, even when they were singing uh, One Headlight very poorly at that bar, which is a song that I don't have a lot of affection for. It's a good song. 
<laughs> you know, it's all right. Different strokes. But the... <laughs> I don't think that that's a... I think it is just a good song. I don't know that there's you know, you room can for feel debate. That way, there's, there's plenty of space for people to be wrong in their lives. And I, and I think that's okay. But... The the bottom line is the scene is effective. You know what I mean? They could have been belting out Sweet Caroline in there, and it would have been okay. You know, the, the, it, it all works out. Um, it, and that's just one of the bonding moments that happens in there. And eventually him taking on more responsibility, becoming a bit more of a functional adult. Um, it, and it never felt heavy-handed. I don't know. I just, it, I, I really enjoyed this film. More, more so than I even thought I was going to. I did not enjoy this film. All right. Is is Joe snickering in the background? It kind of sounds. No, like I, I I am very much looking forward to your opinion. Being of the three of us, the closest in age to our protagonist, Scott. Yeah. Um. I mean, but see, okay. So here's the thing: is I I don't know. I just don't really have an opinion about it. It didn't really do anything for me. Like it was moderately entertaining, and I can't say that. Like, you know, I wanted to, like, fall asleep or anything or, like, that I was ever, like, fully checked out at any point in time. It was kind of just like, all right, okay, so this is happening. Okay, cool. I I didn't ever find myself, like, laughing out loud at it. I didn't find any of the characters, like, particularly interesting or unique or... um, I mean, this this, this is a little harsher than I feel, but, like, worthy of my attention and affection Mm. or empathy or anything like that. I just, I was just kind of like, kind of just about the whole thing. Like at the end of it, like I just didn't even really care to talk about it any more than just like, (laughs) than, than just saying, you know, yeah, it was fine, I guess. And I, I mean, I'm, I, I find it highly unlikely I'll ever watch it again because I just don't think that there's like a ton of entertainment value in it. Um, but I just, you know, and, uh, you know, we talked about what we were going to, um, pair with this movie. And I think, I think part of it for me is that Pete Davidson, Pete Davidson's character in this movie is a watered down version of his role in big time adolescence, uh, which is a movie that he is much more interesting in that his character is much more interesting and a little bit realer to a certain extent, um, more believable. Uh, and so having seen that and then now seeing him doing like a kind of almost half-assed version of that, uh, I just, I didn't think his performance was bad. I didn't think Bill Burr's performance was, and that's another thing. I didn't think that anything in this movie was bad. Like mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just right. didn't really. I just don't really care about it. I guess right. It's more, yeah. Like, I, I'm I'm tipping more on your on the gauge of Carlos here. Mm-hmm. Scott, our protagonist, is not a likable person, and I appreciate the trauma that he has gone through with the loss of his father. But and while the screenplay tries to give us a couple things to show that he can shine if given the opportunity, if we're looking at Scott and not Pete Davidson, then there's not a lot to root here for, mm. you know, except for the hope that anyone might give any stranger that they are working toward a better life. Mm-hmm. The, the, the film is at least 25 minutes too long. And you could take out the entire heist scene, which doesn't 
contribute anything. Although I know that why it's there is to show how desperate uh, Scott was when he needed some money. But that whole two the two scene setup and then delivery of that could have gone away because there was no ramifications for him doing that. The, the police never show up. The only it, good, the only good thing about that scene is that we realize that Igor's girlfriend is real later on. Yeah, that's the that, best okay. thing. That, that's that the best a, thing that, that we get a, out of uh, that. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's 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 a line written into the script in the first act. Yeah, the payoff but, the that's fine. But I agree with you. That scene is kind of useless and a, kind of a waste of time. I, I don't know. I I think it's I think it sets up some of the stakes of the path he's potentially going down. I think it's like he's stumbling into stupid petty crime. It's like there there's there's no real plan there. He doesn't really even give a shit about what what's going on. He just kind of goes along with it because he's a little bit desperate. He's listless. He doesn't have a place to live. He needs the money, you know. Like I I get it and and I think it serves a narrative purpose there. I'm not saying there isn't fat to be trimmed. I do I I can agree with you both. Uh, on that it's a little overlong. I think it could have been tightened up. I don't know that uh, I needed every single moment in the film, but I think the heist is one of them that I would have wanted to keep. Uh, I, I, you don't see any real forward evolution here from Apatow. Um, and, and guys, I mean, this is the man that brought us so many fantastic pieces of entertainment and I would put near, if not at the top of the list, freaks and geeks. So you know, mad respect to Jad Apatow. Oh yeah, I and mean, I'll he talk changed like the landscape of what comedic films like were, like what the like comedy film. Well, is. I think you know one of the things that he gets a lot of credit for, and and we'll talk in the second half about you know whether he deserves it because maybe this film isn't the one to to have that debate on, given how you both feel about it, but. One of the things I think that a lot of people feel that he has been most effective in doing is finding some of the drama in funny people, right? Finding some of the drama in comedy, not just dramedy, but like actually finding like behind most humor, there is some kind of sadness, some kind of, uh, you know, Darkness, melancholy. Yeah. yeah, right. That exists there. That's where I, I guess this film really clicked for me is I've always felt that way about Davidson, right? Like I said oh, earlier, yeah. when I've watched him on SNL over the years, I wasn't as sold on him. I mean, to me, he's one of those one note guys on SNL. He has one thing he can do. He can come out as himself on Weekend Update and be somewhat funny interacting with the guys on the basis of him being a fuck up. Yeah. That, like that, now that's fine. And those are funny segments, but that's like, one thing that he can do he's not somebody who can play different kinds of characters he's not somebody who can now i've heard his stand-up is great i haven't gone and like i do like his stand-up stand-up and everything so you know i i need to probably do that and i was aware of some of the tabloid stuff unfolding once he got into his relationship with ariana grande and so, so i mean like that i kind of knew some of that stuff about him but i think what i love about this project and what i think probably drew apatow to it is here is a guy who, if there ever was a figure who you can sense that kind of darkness behind the laughter, here it is, right? I mean, and I think part of what I like about this film is it doesn't go into, I thought it was going to get darker than it did, honestly. I thought it was going to become like a really uh, upsetting kind of, you know, once we started getting a peek into his life. And maybe and, that would have been better, though. Well, but, but, and, and the film, hey, hold on real quick. The film sets itself up that you may be going there with that very first scene that I talked about. 
But then that level of, I don't want to say the wrong words, that level of psychological break where I could potentially die, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about when he closes his eyes while driving, is never really explored. We understand the we understand the roots of his issues, right? But then, other than that, it's never explored. So it's almost like this weirdo setup for you're about to see something that I don't deliver, and that's another problem that that's another problem that I have with the film. And David, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just no, no, no. That's that's okay. I think not mind for the depths of emotional interest that it could have been the conversation where his mother and her new boyfriend are telling him, you know, it is time for you to, you know, and, and he's, he's very honest. I don't have any money. I don't have a job. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like this. You know, this yeah. guy's an asshole for putting these thoughts in your head. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's no real quick, Carlos, there's no humor injected there outside of the delivery and there's no punch there. And then we go into not a montage, but this like three or four step, Road to recovery, uh, going to the firehouse to live, the camaraderie of you know adult society and having men around you that can act as a de facto father figure, the, 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 the stories about your father that are less glowing and more real, and then bang, 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 we've got resolution because he happens to be at the fire station when a guy comes in with a wound and he goes to the emergency it's room where his Bronson. mother happens to be. Yeah. And, all it's all solved, and now let yeah. me just put a quick coda on it. I'll go treat the girl, and I want to say her name out loud because she was incredible. Uh, Belle Powley, she plays Kelsey. She was fantastic. I d- yeah, talking I did about like the her. cast. Yeah, I did. And, like her. Um, I would have appreciated a few more scenes with her, to be honest. No yeah. doubt. I, that's where we I could let, have grown. Yeah, that's where that's yeah. where we could have grown the character. But and it was already the, too long. We needed to, We needed to take the heist out. I, I get, anyway. I, I get where you're coming from, and Carlos was going to say something. I, I don't want to. Well, David, I think something that you said re- has kind of um, illuminated what I didn't, what didn't, what why this movie didn't do it for me. Uh, I think you said uh, it, Pete Davidson is obviously fucked up. Right. Like he obviously has issues and he's been open about them. And I'm not like saying that in a negative way or whatever. Like he himself says, I got some problems that I'm trying to work out, you know. Um, And so I think because of that, because it's so obvious already that they're the the darkness hiding behind his humor is obvious. It punches you in the face every time he talks. And because it's so obvious the level at which it is explored in this movie isn't interesting because I already know that. Like, Mm. I'm not learning anything about even the fictionalized version of this character because I knew it at the very beginning of the film. And it, like Joe said, it doesn't go any farther than that first scene where he closes his eyes while he's driving. And if they had excavated that a little more and gone darker with it, then we would have had something interesting going on. Yeah. Then there would be you know, something to get from that character, something to get from that story and possibly a more, um, fleshed out and interesting character arc for the Scott character. Um, that, and at that point, like, you know, feel free, like really swing for the fences and detach yourself from the reality of who Pete Davidson is and take Scott, the character to its most 
logical and darkest conclusion uh, that, you know, Pete Davidson himself doesn't embody or exhibit in his real life, but we're operating in a fiction, you know, yeah. albeit only semi-fictional universe, but that's where you can get some of that that grit and that depth and some of that mm. darkness out and really, you know, uh, kind of get to where we all want to go because this isn't like a super bad funny movie. Like there's not a ton of like laugh out loud, hysterical, like hijinks and ridiculous right. scenarios, but it's right. also not a really deep character study either. Nope. And so You're it's like, it's right. really treading in between those two things. And that's why I think that I mm -hmm. felt so unaffected and indifferent towards it. Because yeah. if it had been one or the other, then maybe I would have been like, oh, that was hysterical. I loved watching that. I had so much fun. Or I would have been like, man, like they really got into something there. Like here's a guy yeah. who is like isn't suicidal, but also is kind of okay with if he died today. It's kind of just like, yeah, yeah if that happened, that would be fine. I don't really give a shit, you know? Well, I, I hear what you're saying. I do. I hear what both of you are saying. I guess for me, I, I don't disagree that it could have gotten darker. I don't think it needed to. I don't think it wanted to be that kind of film. I think, you know, it's still a Judd Apatow film. It's still, uh, you know, trying to give us a ray of hope amidst some of the bleakness. Um, I think that a lot of the the loosely autobiographical piece of it made it so that for me, at least as a viewer, it didn't need to do as much character development as maybe you guys were craving with him because I could read a lot into just having seen him over the years on Weekend Update and doing other things. And I realized that's a shorthand that I wasn't thinking about it then, but now hearing you talk about it, it's one that worked for me effectively, but it didn't work as effectively for you both. I think there were some great scenes in there that maybe were, were glossing over. The initial scene with, with him and, uh, and uh, Bell Pauly where they've had sex and then he's basically kind of trying to tell her I'm I'm a little bit too messed up in the head to really be around like for your own safety I like you too much to be and I think a couple of the other exchanges that they have throughout the film I think are some really well written and well performed well, hey David I'll, I'll interrupt you because I think it's important enough to say that when she goes when he goes to sleep with her for yeah. the sole purpose of having a place to stay afterward yeah that to me is a good scene yeah. because it shows the depths of his, I don't know, so, socio sociopathy to to get what he needs. Right, right. The way yeah. the way that the way it shows that he his desperation. Yeah, the way that he argued, yeah. the way that he argued, there was just so much that could have been done. And 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 I'll, and I'll quit interrupting after I say this. I doubt that it. I don't know if Apatow was the director that could give Carlos and I the movie that we wanted, but I think he was the only director that could have gotten this movie made to begin with. So perhaps, yeah. So this is what he delivered, and I was a little bit underwhelmed. Let David Certain finish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, what oh, I was, was David say, talking? So, <laughs> so I felt like it did an effective enough job of setting up that character for me. And then when it transitioned into him acquainting himself with his father's past and this profession that he had tried to keep at an arm's length from himself. Like, I mean, there is that scene there at the minor league baseball game where, 
he basically, which I thought was another great scene where he's basically telling these yeah. guys to their faces, you know, this profession you've chosen is a selfish profession. You think you're all out there saving people and helping humanity? You're fucking your families. Like everybody yeah. who you're connected to has to worry that you're going to die. And then when you don't come home, you leave us all traumatized and messed up. I That scene I did not expect me out either. Of, out of this and that, film. And that was and a good I scene. I thought it was yeah. hard hitting. I, I don't think I've you seen believe his point like of view. That. Yeah. So and and that's with Busimi. That's with um you know some other great great actors. And anyway, Tetro or Tatro, I think is his name. Yeah. From the Real Bros of Simi Valley. Yeah. Dominic Lombardozzi, who's great in The Wire and many other things. Anyway, so the, I I just think then you get him into that firehouse. And the tone does change. It becomes more optimistic very quickly. And you realize these guys, like obviously, they like his dad. They like him. They want to help him. And they find their own way to do that. And it, and it does. It becomes kind of a feel-good film at that point. And I can understand how you guys didn't want to feel good. I was okay with that. <laughs> well, I always feel, I, I always I, feel you know, good I, here. I'm looking for films that actually give restore my faith in humanity. You know what I mean? I feel like these guys would wear masks for me if we were out, you know, to, to keep David, me safe. David, they have to do it honestly. And that, that, what, that what, was, real, what was dishonest about that? That Well, the real quick tie-up of getting Scott from A to B. Because for, he didn't really go from A to B. He, he demonstrated that he's got some artistic skills, but his mother took both of them in again, and we don't even know if he had any kind of epiphany outside of at least being able to perform to his girlfriend in the last few minutes of the movie that he can act like a decent partner. I well, mean, ultimately, but ultimately, right thing, action Bronson. I, I mean, <laughs> I think there's there's a couple moments in there where where he does good stuff. But I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, like to me, this film was effective in in what it did. I thought it delivered enough laughs to keep me interested um, pretty consistently. I think the performances were excellent. So almost every scene, even if it didn't feel like it was maybe moving the thing forward, it felt like a it was a space I wanted to inhabit, and I've already highlighted a few of those for you. But if that isn't enough for a viewer, I understand. Okay, well, here's a question, because now we'll put value to it. Are you going to recommend that people go out and grab this at the $20, $20 price tag, which that, seems to be the one that we're settling on, on right. new release, video on demand, big big, big films? Yeah. That That's a tougher question. I would say this is the kind of film that, yeah, if... if um, you know, I, I was, uh, yeah, I, I would say if I'm a comedy fan, if I'm somebody who wants to see this, I think I didn't feel cheated. On the other hand, it's not a film that I'm blasting out on social media and saying everybody, I mean, we're going to be blasting this out, but mm -hmm. I, I don't think I'm going to be putting any of the, uh, you know, like you must go and rent this. This is one that I think people could wait for when it becomes part of whatever subscription platform it's going to be, Amazon Prime or Netflix or whatever it ends up on at some point. I think you could wait for that. I mean, I, I mean, I can't say honestly that I would deter somebody. Like, I was interested enough in the movie that whether we were doing it for this podcast or not, I was going to pay $20 to watch it. So who am I to tell you, oh, no, it's a waste of money. Don't spend 20 bucks. Like, I was going to do it no matter what, which is, you know, I always like to try to get us to do those kinds of movies because 
like if I'm gonna watch it anyway, we might as well talk about it, you know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, if it's a movie that was that interested you, and that when you saw the trailer, you're like, man, I can't wait for that to come out. Spend the twenty bucks. Yeah. You know, there's no box office revenue happening right now. Like, you know, not that these people are in like hurting for money or anything like that, but like, you know, support the stuff. No, but but I want these kind of films to keep getting made. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like support this, the stuff. This isn't. This isn't the goofball comedy that's going to get people in because it's so wacky and zany. It isn't the, you know, straight up action film. It it's it's that middle ground that very few people can inhabit and Apatow is one of them and I'm I'm excited that he got to make this. I'm excited that Davidson got to be part of it. I want to see what else yeah. he does. I do need to watch Big Time Adolescence. You, yeah. you yes you do. Talk about that on one of our prior episodes. Yeah, and to and just to reinforce what you're saying, like we talked about on an episode that has not been released yet, um, how blockbusters have kind of destroyed the small, like the middle tier, like thirty million dollar film. You know, mm-hmm. you're either like on the super micro indie budget, or you're on this crazy inflated mega action special effects budget. And right. I don't know what the budget of this film is, but I feel like they're the person who can hit that kind of middle ground, mm-hmm. which there are very few of at this point, is Apatow. And so I uh, definitely also, want that middle ground to continue to exist. Yeah. I'll say two things, and then we should probably talk about Raz Pazuava Puff Tart. <laughs> Num- number one, Carlos, I'm so proud of you that you tease the idea that there are episodes in the can that the that, that we can't wait to, to release. <laughs> You guys are going to have to wait for that one. And number two, I only asked that question earlier about the price point for those um, beer and a movie guys that listen, the guys and girls that listen at, um, you know, early in the morning on Wednesday morning, waiting to hear what we have to say about whether they should watch the movie. Or not. Sure. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But should they go drink a brewing project, Raza Pazuava? I mean, Puff- here's a question I have for you. Would you rather spend $20 on a new Judd Apatow movie or would you rather spend $20 on a can of mystery beer that you don't know what it is? <laughs> That's an Easter egg, folks. You, you, you that can, is uh... a deep, deep, deep <laughs> cut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's th- not the mystery can, but this one they're up front. They, they tell us what's going on, yeah. and it isn't $20 a can. I can't remember what I ended up spending on these. Um, There's but, a lot uh, going on, too. Yeah, yeah, there is. This one, I think, compared to the last, a little bit more on the sour end from, mm-hmm. from yeah. what I recall. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little sharper, you know what I mean? Um, but, but not bad. It, it kind of uh, lightens it up in a way. I'm not going to compare it to the last one. Okay. I'm just going to say that this was a very, very, very enjoyable drink. My biggest question is why they insist on using malt beverage on their packaging. I'd like to look into that if either of you don't know the answer. But this went down fast and delicious and the... You know, we've been killing it with the sours that we've been picking on the show recently because they are the perfect balance of the sour and then the the adjuncts and flavors and craft that the brewers are putting into it to make it really drinkable. Fantastic. I'm super, super excited that we paired that with this um, film that David liked. <laughs> I didn't dislike it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I'm... 
I'm with David on the beer at least uh, that you know it is a little sharper. Um, I wish I had had the foresight to open it, leave it in the fridge for about a half an hour, and then pour it and drink it because it came mm. out of the can really hot when I poured it. Like it, like there's a, like a lot of carbonation happening. A lot of carbonation. And so right. when it was a little colder and that carbonation was still really hitting, uh, it increased that kind of sharpness and kind of muted mm. some of the um, the sweet undertones of like the marshmallow yeah. puff portion of the program. Right. Uh, but now that we've been talking for a minute and it's been sitting here and I'm continuing to sip the last you know like third of it or whatever, now is when it's really hitting. It's like really hitting all the spots that it's going for. And, you know, we talked about it last episode with the horribly paired uh, brains uh, (laughs) beer from Drecker that Joe was so angry about. And it says on there, keep cold or you'll or else you'll find out why this is called a fruit bomb. And that is a thing that happens with these kinds of beers. When there's a ton of fruit and adjuncts, sometimes that fermentation can continue a little bit and you get a really carved beer. This one didn't explode, thank God. Um, but I think that I think a, I think a little bit of that happened where it kind of continued to carbonate in the can a little bit. And but now that it's mellowed out, it's Chef's Kiss, top tier. Yeah. All right. And so as we always do, we will take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about uh, another Judd Apatow film, an earlier entry in his career, and of course, have another beer while we do that on the other side of this break. You know, you know, I've been listening to, well, I mean, I always listen to a lot of podcasts. It's kind of how we started doing this, but I've been noticing. You heard, you heard our, fr- cla- you heard our classified ad. I, I've been noticing the frequency that podcasts as a whole use the, and we're back uh, mm-hmm. thing. And I don't know. I just find it kind of funny that it's like such a, like nobody's ever thought of anything else that you could say. Like nobody's going to try anything. We're not even workshopping. We've just settled on and we're back. Well, you, I guess you've you've thrown the gauntlet down here. We're, we're going to have to challenge ourselves. Can can we think of a better return from break than David? David, back? he controls the button. He can do whatever he wants to do. Well, that's, that's true. true, but it, but it, but he hasn't changed the terminology, so that he he's kind of throwing it out there. And we're back from the intermission. <laughs> we'll, we'll put a movie thing into it. Returned, we have. That's you know, like we could go. <laughs> right. Yeah, very highbrow. Very okay. highbrow, which we are yeah. a highbrow podcast, as everybody that listens knows. With you, our listeners, right now. Well, listen, my highbrow brothers, my glass is empty as fuck. Yeah, well. <laughs> Let's get that remedied. Uh, we, we have another... What Moisten we hope, me. 
what Oof. we hope will be a fantastic little beer here. Um, with, with a little bit of a tie-in, you know, Joe uh, had, had thought here, we have this beer called Boss. It's from True Respite out of uh, Maryland, Durwood, Maryland. And they have this double New England-style India Pale Ale that they say is double dry hopped with cashmere, mosaic, and citra hops. And um, the name Boss is apropos because the film that we're going to talk about from Apatow's past is Funny People from 2009, or am I, am I, I off here? Okay. Was it eight? No, 2009. Okay, okay. 2009, uh, starring Adam Sandler. And, you know, the, the basic setup here, which we'll get into in a little more detail, has him as essentially the boss for the uh, co-star of the film, Seth Rogen, uh, who, who's kind of a fledgling, a, a young up-and-comer who, who kind of gets taken under the wing of this big-time comedy star played by Adam Sandler. So as he is the boss, we will put the boss in our glass here. Um, there's a guitar on on the front. I don't know if this is, is a Bruce Springsteen connection. That's kind of what I was thinking. It's definitely not I- based on the kind of guitar on the can. Oh, that's true. That's not... So what do you think the pull is? That what are they what are they getting at? I think they're trying to merge Springsteen with Ace Freely, based on the <laughs> the tight face of the S's. Oh, that's They've got true, the kind yeah. of Kiss style S's. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and there's there's another tie-in as well. I mean, at the top of the film, and I'm not rushing ahead. I'm just going to tie the the beer and the film together. Mm-hmm. At the top of the film and in the trailer, we learn that Adam Sandler has got a very rare form of leukemia and a very slim chance of living he needs a short period of rest or relief from Uh that difficult experience he needs if you will a a true respite yeah all right well well done joe thank you yeah i've had just enough beer to put that shit together (laughs) (laughs) so well this one is going to put you over because this uh our our first beer of the episode there the the raz pazwava Uh uh-huh is only 0.2 percent well, here we're we're at a four to that. This is an eight point two percent double dry hopped New England IPA. So. Well, cheer, cheers to you, my movie yes. and beer brothers. You know this movie gets off to a good start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just, are we are we in say all the same territory stuff? here? Oh no, I I forgot to sniff the beer. You know, after that um, sour ale, I'm looking forward to a nice IPA. You know the. the we like to do IPAs and stouts the most. Mm-hmm. I would say in the last three or four months, sours have come on strong. But we love a good IPA here, and I'm looking forward to sipping on this while we talk about this film. Would you say that uh, they've come on strong the way uh, that Jason Schwartzman's character comes on strong to Daisy? Uh, you know, I don't know if we should even talk about Jason Schwartzman because oh, we, we have, have not to talk done, about Jason Schwartzman. But we have not talked on this show beer and a movie about Rushmore. So why don't we get that up on our list? Uh, fast forward that. No, okay. th- uh, Carlos, I- I'm going to give it right back to you. Apatow can put a cast together. My he goodness. Did, he did here too. And Jason Schwartzman shines. Yeah. And not to mention that we have a young Aubrey Plaza yeah, you're right. Hasn't really done a lot at this point. Uh, we've got a young Aziz, also hasn't really done a lot at this point. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, Jonah Hill and Seth Rogen 
have, I mean, they're on, they're in the mix, you know, but they're not to where they are now quite yet. They're still right. kind of like right. the new. Guys. I mean, this was that. This was after Superbad. Yeah. This was after Knocked Up. So th- th- there was some. There was some buzz there. They, there was these buzz, guys were, yeah. These guys were on the precipice, but they hadn't quite made the leap to the kinds of uh, yeah. It was of, like it was kind of like a okay, like are are they going to peter out? Are they going to kind of fall off? Or are these people that are here to stay? Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of thing, right? Sure. Um, yeah. were, were they Napoleon Dynamite? Yes. <laughs> big flash. Big flash in the pan. And then yeah, they did Blades what, of Glory, and then everything fell apart afterwards. Or what's happened? If I uh, recall, we, if I recall, we talked about Blades of Glory a little earlier today. <laughs> that's true. That that yeah, that was. Uh, a, Stay tuned. Anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, the for me, the movie gets off to a good start. The screenplay is credited a hundred percent to Apatow here, so we see a lot of the tropes. I, I mentioned evolution in the first half of the film. I the think movie it's important. evolution starring David no, Duchovny no. and Orlando Jones <laughs> and Sean that William Scott. Would, that would have been a strange thing to wedge in to the King of Staten Island. I was talking more about, uh, Apatow, the evolution of Apatow's career. Mm, yeah. Cause this is his third film that he uh-huh. directs. The first two are 40 year old virgin and knocked up. Knocked up. On the comedy to drama scale, those two films, heavy comedy. Mm-hmm. We're not looking introspectively much to find out why yeah. he's a 40-year-old virgin. You know, we're not, you know. So this is a film, the third in a very successful streak of comedy comedies. Mm-hmm. This is the third film, and we're moving the needle to drama. And I wanted to just mention that evolution because if you consider king of staten island it comes further down over on the drama side uh, okay into that into that conversation of is apatow the director to deliver that kind of thing here we're seeing our first taste of it yeah and we haven't talked about the plot at all well well this is to get into the plot actually that segues nicely to what i was going to say anyway is that uh you know apatow has two like massive hits under his belt at this point like 40 year old virgin is like a game changer for comedy uh film wise and then knocked up is also not i don't think as successful but still shows like you know he's pretty got, big he's yeah it was pretty big i mean uh it still shows he's got the stuff you know he can make the money he can put butts in seats uh get the laughs and mm-hmm. so then by the third movie, and I could be totally wrong because I didn't do any research, uh, but I, I, you know, so I could be totally wrong about this historically or whatever, but it seems like by his third film, he's getting to the point where he can kind of uh, do what he wants, not obviously not the way he can now, because now he could literally do whatever the fuck he wanted and people would just be like, yeah, sure, Judd, okay, cool. Um, but he's getting a little more freedom in it. And this is the movie where all of his like childhood obsession and all of his like, you know, comic nerdness comes out, and he's like, "I'm gonna make a movie about the stuff that I love, and the stuff that I love is stand-up comedy. It's comedic performers. It's the stories about those people. I mean, you know, we're talking about a guy who, as a kid, was writing down the lines for SNL sketches so that he could study the mechanics of the comedy and how it worked and all this kind of stuff, and so." We get to this point and he's like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I want to talk about these people that I love and that I grew up loving and that make all of this work, you know? 
And so I think that kind of thing, uh, you know, give, gives a little more depth. He's not just going to, you know, make raunchy dick jokes or whatever. He's has more of a personal connection to the subject matter. So he's going to dive deeper into it. And that's where we get some of that drama from, I think. Although they, there are a surprising number of dick jokes in this film. Yes, um, I mean, there yeah. are. <laughs> but uh, it's not as crude as maybe, you know, uh, shit-stained ball sack and all the stuff from 40-Year-Old Virgin, you know? Like, it gets pretty yeah, uh, pretty graphic that's, and that's stuff true. in that that's one. It, 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 does, it does bring it down a little bit. Although, I, it, it was interesting re-watching this film. I, I was like, God, I forgot how obsessed these characters are, especially the Simmons character played by... Uh, uh, Sandler with, you know, just sizing everybody up by their dick you know, mm-hmm. or like, you know, projecting whatever he thinks about their dick on. He constantly know. references oh. how big someone's dick is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, especially yeah, Iris. That's right. That's right. Um, but it is, it's, it, it was an interesting trajectory for Apatow as a director and writer. Obviously he was also producing a lot of stuff too. I mean, he, he, he does more than just these projects that he's very involved in, but this, is probably, I don't know, even now, probably the most personal film out of his, uh, you know, that he that he's written and directed, um, in part because, you know, I think he was basing it on this idea that, you know, he wanted to tell a story somewhat like what he experienced when he was coming up in the business and being mentored by other people. And so, you know, wanted to make that interesting. So how do you do that? Well, you tell the story of being mentored by somebody who's kind of going through a huge life event themselves right it's not just about the up-and-comer in fact seth rogan's kind of almost straight man to this you know strange life crisis that uh that adam sandler the george simmons character is is going through in this and and it was at least from a box office standpoint kind of a stumble right because actually you know just just to minor correction there knocked up did even better than 40 year old version at the really box office yeah they could so 40 year old virgin because there was a pretty girl in it perhaps i mean there was i mean i mean if you're talking about the the, people i'm sorry go ahead go ahead guys go ahead david sorry joe shut the fuck up (laughs) don't tell me what to do sorry this Um, this boss has hit me right square between the eyes go ahead good uh when you know but again Carell hadn't really made his name the office hadn't really so that it was one of those big moments where oh these guys came out of nowhere but knocked up was was somewhat similar where you know rogan hadn't really made his name in the big way has that and i think you're right joe uh katherine heigl right she was the female lead in yeah not no katherine keener but uh, who was hot on uh, Grey's, her Grey's Anatomy fame at that yeah, moment. Correct. So that yeah. probably helped bring some more female fans to the yep. theater. I think, you know, so that, but that one did even better. This, the budget was almost twice, actually, I think more than twice what either of those films were. And yet it made probably a third of what those films did. So, well, I think from many standpoints, and we can talk about how we feel about the film as critics, um, it did very well. It was sort of a failure for him in terms of having this track record of knowing how to make big money and make profits for studios with these films. Um, so, you know, j- just just to lay a little bit more foundation there. Personally, you know, going, to, I I really loved this film w- when it first came out, and again, <laughs> I almost feel like I don't have to say these things that we, we did talk about. Maybe we should just put a bot that, that instead of me having <laughs> to say I like things, we can just have. 
you know, whatever that canned, uh, I really love this film. You know, that, uh, <laughs> but going back to it, it was much I, better than cats. I still found <laughs> a lot to love about it. It maybe didn't feel quite as perfect a film as when I saw it the first time, but, but it really does some things that I think very, very few films ever do. Right. I mean, I think it, like with all of his films, is funny. There are funny moments throughout this film. Um, but then there's some really interesting character stuff that goes on. And I think in particular, this is one of those films, and man, we, we did uh, you know Uncut Gems not that long ago. And, uh, and we talked a little bit about Punch Drunk Love when we were talking about that one. I don't remember if this came up in our conversation, but it was an oversight if it didn't. This is one of those Adam Sandler roles where he shows his ability to go outside of that very comfortable zone where he's just doing the goofy voices and crossing his eyes and, and making himself into a wacky dude. Um, some of that's in there because they're kind of making fun of it, right? I, one, one of the things I love about this film are those repeated references to these blockbuster comedies that he's had over the years, Merman, and the the one where he's superimposed on a baby's body, I can't remember. Redo, redo. Thank you. Um, which just look frighteningly terrible, but very funny in that they're playing up some of the actual stuff that Sandler does with his. Oh work. yeah, yeah. They're they're and, David. They're one degree away from actual Sandler work that made him a millionaire. Right, right. Um, so so you know it's wonderful to see them. I mean he's he's kind of deflating himself here, or but you know by playing this character he's kind of poking this fun at the kind of comic actor that he is, um, but showing real depth in the process. And and there's just some really cool stuff in here. And plus I think Leslie Mann is is wonderful in it, and and I love seeing her do her thing. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of have some things I want to say, but but I kind of want to hear what you guys... Do you love this film? Is this a film that you already knew and, and have always liked? Is uh, Well, I, there's, a, there's, there's a lot about this movie that I like, and that's because I generally believe that Apatow, and even in King of Staten Islands, his sense of humor attracts me. So when I went to see this movie in the theater, I had... I love 40-Year-Old Virgin, and I like a lot, almost love, Knocked Up, these two films. So when you see on the poster from the director of these two films is this film, mm -hmm. there are things in this movie that make me laugh very hard. The existence of Yo Teach. I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad, Carlos, that you brought up Jason Schwartzman first, because I love Rushmore, and I love Wes Anderson, and I love almost everything that jason schwartzman does coconut records all of it i'm all in on jason schwartzman and he does them he's one of the composers for this movie jason schwartzman so that so that they make a what is it head of the class some kind of horrible <laughs> nbc network television it real show is terrible that weaves its way through the film the entire movie that is brilliant and the the clips of the um, old Melrose Place style shows that Leslie Mann's character were in mm -hmm. and, and how they weaved that in and they created this universe of their past and their Hollywood careers. I love those details. And my favorite part of the entire movie, David, you, you nailed it, was the George Simmons films themselves. The, the merman and the, the voices and the self-depreciation of myself, Adam Sandler's saying. And the way that I saw that this went down was that, you know, the clip where Adam Sandler's making the um, 
prank phone calls. It's some home video that they use in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe that Apatow shot that because they, I think they it were was when they were roommates. Yeah. yeah, they were roommates. So I can imagine Judd Apatow coming up with this third film. I want to do something about, like you said, Carlos, the stand up comedy world and what I love and went through. And Adam, what if we made fun of the people, you know, what you, a part of your career, but we make the character be this something that isn't you? And everyone was all in. But my biggest issue of the movie, and Carlos, tell me if I'm wrong here, is the entire third act, or almost the entire second half, where the disease, he's stricken with the disease, we failed to say, we failed to talk about the amazing five-minute on-screen doctor, <laughs> his doctor, oh, that yeah. resembles Hans the guy Gruber. from, yeah, Hans, well, or his henchman from yeah. Die Hard. But once he's cleared of the disease, the entire second half of the movie becomes this weird Three's Company episode where it's not about him understanding life. It's about him getting the girl, his the Le- Le- Leslie Mann character, who's now married to Eric Bana. <laughs> and and all, that entire second half or third act, depending on how you want to look at it, to me, does not match the first half of the film the way that the redemptive part of Pete Davidson's story does not match the most interesting part of the film, the first half. And to me, it's a break of Apatow being able to deliver the dramedy side of the, the drama side of the dramedy. I mean, I don't disagree with you that the second half is a little kind of odd. Um, I mean, it definitely does deviate quite a bit, you know, and, um, I think that that criticism isn't unwarranted or it's not that it, you know, it, it, it's got teeth to, to it, you know? And, but I think that, I think that the reason that it's interesting is because you have someone who has like literally everything that a person could ever want. And then through almost having to die kind of, you know, it's just the, uh, reassessing of one's priorities, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, he, you know, he lived very selfishly and thought that, you know, he was the most important thing in the world and like made his decisions based off of that belief and like getting all of the stuff that he could get, you know, having all the casual sex he could have and like all that kind of stuff. And then when he was confronted with his own mortality, there was nobody there to take care of him only to find out that this person from his past never kind of forgot about him or whatever. I mean, it makes sense that there is going to be that element of it. And for him to try to insert himself into this domestic life. Um, and the, the reason that I think that the second half of the film doesn't, even though I acknowledge that it is kind of somewhat, a big leap or, you know, kind of very far removed from the stand-up world of the first half, it gives us Eric Bana, who is normally <laughs> repulsive to me. I do not care for this man uh, in funny. almost anything that he's in, but he's so fucking funny in the second half of this movie. It's so good. And, yeah. you know, I, I just think a lot of it is so great. Like... Yeah the you know scenes in suburbia or whatever and yeah. uh just 
I mean, you know, the fact that he's disarmed by him because he's about to die and, like, the subtext of that. And, like, mm-hmm. uh, I just think that, yeah, even though could I have – would I have also enjoyed a movie where the second half continues to live in the stand-up world and maybe takes a slightly different direction uh, as far as the character is concerned? Yeah, I probably would have liked that movie too. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I also think that the, the way that it's presented um, it gives you a lot to chew on. And to go back to what David said, I all, I do remember this being a failure, quote unquote, compared to his previous work. And I remember going to see it in the theater with a friend of mine and hearing that it was kind of, eh, you know, whatever. And then we walked in and we're like, that movie was really fucking good. Like, yeah. And like really liking it and being kind of confused at the, you know, contempt that people had for it or whatever. Uh, and I, I, again, like whenever I talk about how sad it makes me that Adam Sandler has chosen the career that he chose a few years ago, I would have pointed to two movies. I would have pointed to punch drunk love and this one. Now I have a third to point to, which is uncut gems. Uh, but he's good. He's really good in it. Like he's, yeah, he can, he can act if he's got to, you know, I have nothing to base this on except for gut. And I got a big one. It's, um, (laughs) I, I don't really. It's severe. Uh, I, I, you're right. And sitting down and watching a bunch of movies. It, I believe that Adam Sandler is in a position per, to say, "Let's do more of the uh, let's do more of the uncut uncut gems work," because I've proven everything I can with grossing and comedy and deals. And I, I hope that he does take that trajectory because the three yeah. examples Carlos that you gave are great pieces of uh, of work and i i even put funny people in that category it, it it is flawed but there's a lot of good in this movie a lot of yeah good. i think what i like about that whole segment of the film that you're talking about which i like you say joe i mean in some sense it is a third act but in another sense it's more than half the film i mean running time wise it goes on for for quite some time the mad does dash feel to the somewhat airport. separated um but what i like about it and and this is something that uh, that kind of puts it in in a certain degree of uh, separation from King of Staten Island, where I think there is a little bit more of a conventional, you know, he finds his place, he comes to some level of comfort with who he is and his past and his father who he lost and all that. Here, you know, you have the George Simmons character played by Adam Sandler, who in this moment of crisis has kind of fooled himself into thinking, oh, I should have taken the more conventional. I should have stayed with this woman who I loved and I shouldn't have cheated on her. And, you know, I shouldn't have gone for the casual sex. I should have. But then, you know, when he gets that second chance, so to speak, and, and he's able to kind of act on it. And he wants to, right? He's kind of driven to do that. He forces Ira to go with him there. He's, you know, they go out of their way to spend this time with him. Um, he, you know, even though it doesn't really dawn on him immediately, he realizes that's not the path that he should. It doesn't make him happy. He doesn't want kids. He he takes no interest in the children. He's still too self-centered to do that. Um, but then the character does get that little bit of growth at the end, where like at least he takes more interest in. I think it's a really interesting tightrope that it walks where, you know, in some sense, I should hate the George Simmons character at the end of this film because he's shown what a vacuous asshole he is. And yet in his relationship with Ira, the Seth Rogen character, he shows that, okay, but he's capable of actually 
real connection. He's capable of actually caring about the person. He's written jokes for Ira at the end, right? And I think that scene there at the end where they're kind of sitting there at the table while Ira's on the break from his, you know, deli counter job or whatever is really... I remember seeing the film the first time and now watching it again. It feels like a much more powerful scene than I really would expect it to. I don't know. Just on its surface, the idea of these two guys sitting at this table exchanging jokes, what it's built to at that point in the film. And in part, it had to go through that whole sequence where he flirts with the idea of having this more conventional life where he's going to end up with the girl who he should have married and he's going to be a father to her kids and all this stuff that no, that wasn't the path for him. But here is this place where he actually serves a role. And here is this kind of family that he has through comedy, through his profession, through through the people he connects with through that, that he has some ability to uh, to have a more profound kind of experience that isn't quite as self-centered as, as it had been earlier on. So I don't know. It, 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 I love that about this film. But David, consider the redemption that the protagonist of the film has. It's a two-minute conversation with another human. How, how large of a redemption have we created? A big one for me. I mean, because those two guys have built that relationship throughout the film, and it pays off in those two minutes. I mean, no, it, I, if I'm it was two minutes see, isolated. I'm glad to see those two guys getting along at the end of the film because they're clearly good for one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it, you know, th this is this is one that at the time I liked it. I think, you know, where I see the flaws in this film more is, you know, the the reliance on some of the I don't know, like the, the, I don't want to say. I don't know, like the dick jokes. It's like it just it it wasn't funny to me that much the first time, certainly the second time through now. I just didn't, I didn't find it very, it's, there's I don't a, know. There's also a lot of use of the F word that hasn't aged super well. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. There, there's there's just a comic tone to some of the stuff that doesn't strike me as much. I like the shot, the, the stand-up scenes. Mm -hmm. I think seeing the guys do the stand-up, seeing Aziz do some stand-up. Um, agreed, seeing agreed. Aubrey Plaza, like, you know, I think seeing these people do their thing, those are fun scenes, those are still fun scenes. Uh, the, the, the cameos yeah. are a lot of fun. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, I, th I think this is a film that largely stands up. I think it's it's too bad that it didn't get as much love from the audience as his prior films had, but I think it was going for something a little bit, a little bit darker, a little bit more somber, um, so that was kind of to be expected. Uh, but, yeah, I think in terms of one of these films that we can put into that... Uh, you know, that trajectory of Adam Sandler showing that he, he can do more than, than what people tend to think he can do. This is definitely in there. Whether he's going to follow up on that, like you're hoping, Joe, I don't know. I, I still don't hold out a lot of hope. I mean, I think uh, I, I give uncut gems to the Safdie brothers. He did the work. They pulled him into it. They wanted him for it. They, they got him. Uh, I don't know if he's going to seek that out necessarily. I don't know. I'm just watching him through the whole media thing on Uncut Gems. He seemed to have a lot of fun mm. talking about this, I mean, really masterful piece of work that makes me want to sign off from you guys and go watch it again. <laughs> really? talking it's about possible. It. It's on Netflix now. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I also am skeptical of like what he'll actually do, but... Um, I think that I think that he is a good actor, um, despite his best efforts not to be. 
which he has tried really hard to be a not good actor over his career. Um, <laughs> paycheck, man, paycheck. But, um, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I I think that this is, I would say without a doubt, Judd Apatow's most underrated film and definitely deserves so much more credit than he gets. Um, I felt that in 2009. I feel that now, especially rewatching it. Like I still really like this movie a lot. Like, yeah, uh, it's definitely, you know, one of my favorite Apatow movies. That's for sure. Um, I'm going to rewatch this way before I rewatch knocked up or train wreck or King of Staten Island. Um, well, hey, well, how do you guys feel about This Is 40? That's the follow-up director oh, yeah. to this. I didn't you know, see that one. It's using two characters, the Leslie Mann character and Paul Rudd are the married characters from mm-hmm. Knocked Up. Right. Here they are, you know, turning 40. I, I got to tell you, that film is flawed, but it is a perfect intersection of my love for Paul Rudd, my love for Apatow, and turning 40 the year that that movie came out. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul Rudd is a legend. <laughs> I watched Clueless recently. Looks exactly the same. Yeah, right? bananas. Yeah, yeah we That's... should do Mac and Me for a future episode. I'm fucking down, <laughs> actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, I uh, I didn't see this forty, but I do think this is, I would say, Apatow's most uh, underrated film. It's a great movie, and I think if you haven't watched it, I mean, what the fuck have you been doing? It's been eleven years. Like, come on, you know, like uh, you can get it. You can get a copy of this film on DVD for like under five dollars at like literally any place that sells used DVDs. Easily, uh, yes. it's a very affordable. Uh, and I, I mean, it could be streaming somewhere. I don't fucking know, uh, but. Uh, yeah, not a big barrier of entry. Go watch it. Jason Schwartzman's doing the score, and he's in the movie. Come on, <laughs> what are you doing? I agree. When, I when my I, grand when my grandfather passed, there was a candle and it flickered, and I thought we figured then that he went to heaven. You don't go. You don't go through a candle, a fire to get to heaven. I think your grandfather's in hell. I mean, that alone is worth a five dollar DVD buy at a DVD place. It's it's yeah. great. What do we think he, of this? He, he uh, lets, this he lets beer. that cam he lets that camera run while his actors improvise, and that's why I think the films can have a few minutes extra running time because he he leaves the funny in. Yeah, and you know, he, actually, he's Joe, really good at that. I'm 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 glad that you mentioned that because uh, the first time I saw Trainwreck was in 2015 at South by Southwest, and it was a working cut of the film. They were showing a working cut at the Paramount Theater. And me and my friend Nathan, who I actually went to see funny people with in the theater, um, we waited in a pretty long line um, that wrapped around whatever street off of Congress to, you know, get to be the first people to see this movie. And that was when, and I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, when I discovered my love of John Cena uh, because what I didn't, what I didn't realize, uh, what I didn't realize when I was watching the quote unquote working cut of this movie was that some of the scenes like where there are jokes in a working cut, especially in an Apatow working cut, he leaves like five, six, ten different versions of a joke that will go there in mm-hmm. the film to see what the audience reacts to the most. And so there are scenes 
in the first act of the film with John Cena and Amy Schumer, where John Cena is just like rattling off these jokes, like one after another. And they were so funny. And there were several moments like that in the working cut of the film where, you know, there's supposed to be a joke and we're just getting them rapid fire coming at us. Just like all of the ideas that they had for like what could go there are being presented to us. And I'm just like dying laughing, like hysterically laughing. And I just like, and I'm like, man, this movie's fucking good. And then it actually comes out the final version of it. And those scenes have been, they're concise and they're tight. And it, I, I just, I liked the working cut more because there was just so much good. Did, did, so many did good you jokes. remember whenever you saw the line that they kept, did you remember that you'd seen that in the working cut version? Yeah. I mean, cause I remember those mo those moments, uh, I don't, you know, I, I can't say that I remember, especially because it's been like five years now, but uh, any of the a specific of jokes that got left out or anything like that. But I just I just have such a strong memory of just like guttural laughing like so hard at this movie and then seeing it in the theater and like chuckling, but not having the same like intense reaction to it. But I think it's because they're just like, hey, John, here's some jokes. Like, just see which one, you know, see what feels right. And he's just doing them, you know? And I think yeah. that he's a guy that has comedic timing, the pretty decent comedic timing. But then same thing with Bill Hader. They're like, Bill, here's some jokes. Fucking go for it. See what happens. And he's just, mm -hmm. just running. Yeah, them. we talked about that during our Christopher Guest episode a few episodes ago. And that is a bullet point script where it's largely improvised. And I think that Apatow's doing it, you know, down the spectrum where it's a, a fledged out script but here's an opportunity for you guys to improvise and we will just use the funniest material. And you <laughs> see, it's almost like a, a breaking, if you're paying attention to it, it's almost like a breaking of the, of the fourth wall. But you can see in all of his movies, Knocked Up, you know, 40 year old version, the whole, you know how I know you like Cold, you know how I know you're gay, you like Coldplay. Like, you know that, that, that those scenes were just them sitting there Riffing, 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 riffing. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Anyway, we could talk about Apatow all day, but yeah. it's probably yeah. time to talk about Boss. Boss. <laughs> David. It, um, I, I found it to be a pretty good double dry hop. I, you, I'm sorry. I, I, before I forget, uh, because I, I wanted to jump in there, but I was trying to give you guys some space as you were going back and forth. Let's not forget Eminem and Ray Romano. Their exchange oh, yeah. that scene is, is good. absolutely fucking priceless. Um, it the is cameos. absolutely worth the price of admission. <laughs> that right scene is there. so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Especially because so it's at that, a weird time in Eminem's career. Sure, yeah, right. A really right. weird time in his career. Totally caught me off guard when I saw it the first time. Yeah. I had no idea that was going to be in there, and so I loved it. Anyway, um, so I was a little distracted there when we went to the beer review. But yes, I think this is a, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like I drink so many great beers with you guys that, that sometimes a beer that's really, really good feels like a disappointment. And I don't want to say this is a disappointment, but it didn't like, it didn't quite, I loved the, the, the nose on it, the aroma. I was, I was digging, but once I got in there drinking it, I just, I didn't find that much that was really wowing me i don't know the mouthfeel wasn't quite there for me i wanted more citrus in the flavor it wasn't there i don't know it just it it didn't quite deliver on what i was hoping 
I mean, I, th- I think I think that you said it better, or I think you said it the best that any of us could possibly say it, is that we drink some ridiculous beer on this podcast. And so when we have a beer that's good, I mean, it's really, that's it. It's just good, I guess. You know? Yeah. Like, no, it, it's it a is, good beer, yeah, but compared to some of the other stuff that we drink, it's, you know, it's not that, you know? It's not going above and beyond. It's, you know, I don't know. David is our resident optimist, and he always always has something good to say. And when he doesn't, it shocks and <laughs> awes the audience. Right? He's, he's, he's branded himself very well. I'm going to take what you said, David. I'm going to say it a completely different way. Okay. We have a lot of razzmatazz beers on this show. But every mm-hmm. once in a while, we have an IPA or any style, that is so almost perfect in its basicness that we don't know what to say. I'm going to tell you that True Respite's boss is just a really great double IPA that can deliver to you a package of just simple perfection. And we're waiting for the hop slam on the back and the two by four on the back of the head of guava (laughs) and lactose. No, no, no. That's not what they're trying to do here. No. They're just delivering a basic, clean formula. And they have succeeded. They have. Yeah, Yeah, it is a good IPA. Yeah, I... I, I agree. I, th- I think Joe, thank you. That that's you know you're you're doing the dirty work that I normally do have to do here. Carlos, you're right. did you hear what he just said? I did. Yeah. Mm. This is this is definitely uh, a beer that they should be proud of making. I'm not at all saying that True Respite is, is somehow uh, an inferior brewery, but it does. <laughs> but it does. You know, it just leaves me as somebody who, especially coming off of the Raz Pazwava what that we just had in the first half, it's almost like I should have we should have reversed the order, even though the, yeah. the pairing here made sense with the name boss and the in this film. You know, to have this one after that one, it just flavor wise doesn't have the same like you say, it doesn't have the same razzmatazz. So, you know, I think uh, <laughs> that that's just uh, razzle dazzle. What it is. What Someone it is. with an immature palate would say that. That's right. Um, and and goodness. I believe uh, in this case I, I deserve that type. No, I'm playing around. No, I I, I, I'm playing around. Boss by True Respite is a solid, basic You're IPA. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad that we got to enjoy it with this. Uh, I think that we kind of agree at the end, anything but basic comedy. Because you can see Apatow yeah. moving into trying to try some new things. Sandler taking one of his rare, you know, gabba-da-gabba-da-goo, you know, diversions from that kind of thing <laughs> mm-hmm. that was my, that was my impression yeah it was a good, good one good. good episode apatow fan here uh i just I, I i i want to see him do a straight up comedy and then maybe the next one after that would be his perfect drama heavy episode you know drama yeah. heavy entry into his career yeah i can yeah i i mean i i definitely i definitely hear where you're coming from uh yeah this was a, i mean just to put a, a a period on it, it is a very fine double IPA, and 
And what does that stand for? Uh, independent Production something? Association? That was a deep cut that even my own co-host didn't recognize. I don't reference know that even about. my own co-host didn't recognize. <laughs> it goes back to our television debut. I'll let you guys sit on that one for a second. Oh, um, oh yes. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. But yeah, I'm glad that we got to talk about some Apatow stuff and that, you know, yeah. we went a little deeper with it than just going don't straight you, don't to you, don't you feel that Apatow will be a director that we pay attention to as we move forward? I mean, yeah, we're going sure. to follow his film. Yeah. I mean, anything he does will get attention, you know, unless he really just starts to fuck up. I like highly, which I highly doubt. I mean, even at this point, I mean, he's got so many credits for production under his belt. I mean, the love series, which his uh, youngest daughter Iris is in, uh, who is also in funny people, which she's hilarious in that show. Um, that's one thing we didn't mention is that his kids pop up in all of his movies. That's right. Uh, and he's, Maude and, was in both Funny yeah, People and King of Staten Maude Island. was in both, and of course his wife uh, is in a lot of them. My wife. Uh, oh goodness, that's what. That's how much beer we've had as we got to the bore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll definitely pay attention to him in the future. I'm sure you guys will too. Um, let us know what you thought about King of Staten Island, and if you are a fan of Funny People the way that we are, uh, and always have been. And I want to know if you were down since day one or not, no fake shit here. Uh, Twitter at beer movie shows where you can find us. Instagram at beer and a movie, facebook.com slash beer and a movie TX beer and movie podcast.com is where you can find a link to listen to all of our past episodes. Absolutely for free. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate review and subscribe. That helps us out a great deal. We know you're going to give us a five star rating, but please also leave a written review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of in the future. That helps us in programming all of our episodes, especially right now during covid semi-quarantine face mask mandatory order coming through in your town hopefully um and uh and uh, i'm gonna interrupt you carlos they say that surprise this is surprise a, <laughs> they say that this is a learning experience for everyone right and our format prior to our stay-at-home order and the theater's closing was typically a new release in the theater and then some kind of I, I have I haven't felt any creative burden with where we are right now. I mean I, I, well, I, no, I am no in, way. I am in, I am enjoying Hollywood putting out, you know, next week we're gonna do Eurovision. Like it seems mm -hmm. like every week they're giving us a big, great, interesting film to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think that especially this deep into it, they really don't have any choice at the, uh, right now. I mean, uh, I know there are some directors, some that I admire, who are kind of a little hard-headed and insisting that their films be shown in theaters. Uh, Christopher Nolan. Yes, that would be the one. Mm -hmm. um, and think about, think about how anxious we are to talk about that movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I very much want to see it, especially given the patentsonness of it all. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm with you. But uh, yeah, I mean, we have a huge list of things that we want to do. It's not like we are at some shortage of being able to like program content or whatever. I mean, there's so much like film out there for us to watch. Um, and yeah, we are getting a lot of really good at home releases. Um, and there is so much on streaming services. We talked about it in this episode and we talked about it in our first, uh, 
quarantined episode, Big Time Adolescence on Hulu. If you haven't watched it, go check it out. It's a really great Pete Davidson performance, really good movie. Um, a listener of the show uh, slash friend of ours slash at this point, like n- number one selling author, Mike Henenberger, uh, go get his book uh, if you haven't already. Yeah. But he recommended a movie called Becky uh, to us. He sent all of us a group message and was like, hey, I know you guys have probably heard of it and it's on your radar, which it wasn't on mine. Um, yeah. But check this movie out. Kevin James plays a Nazi in it. Uh, I watched that movie. I did not see that coming. It is <laughs> oh, way shit. better than that joke was. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is. No, it's a fucking good, like, midnight movie. Like, we talked about on the Hunt episode. That's, like, a fun... This is, like, peak midnight movie. Just, like, ultra, like, intense gore, horror, like... Uh, there's so much new i mean there still is so much new stuff for us to watch i mean really um so much stuff that we're not going to be able to do episodes on everything which is one of the reasons i bring becky up is because you, you guys need to watch it and i don't think we're going to do an episode on it uh, absolutely but yeah there's plenty happening lots of content uh really we are not being as adversely affected by theater closures as one would have expected i would say with, with- with the big spike in Corona where we live that's going on right now, I can't imagine I'm going to a movie theater anytime soon. Fuck no. <laughs> Must be outside your damn mind. Yeah, right. We need to we need to do drive-ins set up here. God, a drive-in but, would be uh, so yeah. sick. Yeah. So yeah, Carlo, Carlos, you let the cat out of the bag. We're creating some amazing content for future releases, and uh, we appreciate every single one of you that listen to us every week. Yeah, and especially if you got this far. <laughs> we are an hour and a half in. Kyle Ferguson, if you text me, I heard it this far, I'm going to send you some beer. <laughs> wow. He's going he's to send you daddy's juice box. Don't, oh, don't yeah, don't fall into I, the I trap. I didn't say what I was sending. Don't fall I didn't into say the what trap. I was sending. But yeah, by the way, also, if you got this far, send us some beer. Come on. <laughs> We're stuck in our houses. We're thirsty. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been another fantastic episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time. One of my roommates told me that he was Joe Pesci's son. I believed him for three years. I still get shit about that. (laughs) 